0: I'm Ken Canera, and you're listening to Beyond Consulting. Today we welcome Dr. Cal Patel, CEO and co-founder of Bright Insight and former BCG consultant. But before we welcome Cal to the studio, I just want to remind our listeners that we are sponsored by ECA Partners, a project staffing and executive search firm focused on management consultants and private equity. Cal, thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me
0: today, Ken. You bet. So, Cal, you're in the Bay Area today, and that's because that's the location of your company, right? Bright Insight? That's right.
1: Yep. We were originated here in the Bay Area, though. Like many companies, we've sort of spread out in the virtual world that we live in now.
0: Excellent. And Cal, maybe just to start off, do you want to just give a quick kind of background in terms of how you ended up being both a doctor, a consultant, and a CEO and a co-founder? Yeah, happy to
1: give the short version here. Um, So, you know, State economics and co- way back in college, and was going to go straight to medical school. Uh, ended up doing the med school admissions process, but then actually took a break and went to Boston Consulting Group and started my consulting career there as an associate in Chicago right out of college. I loved it so much, right? The learning curve, as your audience knows, the learning curve, the impact opportunities, the kind of colleagues you work with. So I actually decided to pivot instead of being a practicing physician. I focused on doing an MD MBA, sort of really go deep in, uh, you know, part of the uh, healthcare spectrum, but then go back to bringing that, you know, to Boston Consulting Group and our clients. So did the MD MBA, and then went back to BCG for about another five years, based in Chicago, as well uh, as part of their ambassador program out in Eastern Europe. And then I went into industry. So I joined Novartis Pharma in different uh, sales and marketing leadership roles. And then went to Amgen here in Southern California and was head of corporate strategy there, then global marketing lead for one of their main drugs, Enbrel. And then to get to your question on how to end up in, as a tech CEO, um, I found and led what we call Amgen Digital Health. It's so one of the early kind of digital technology focused BUs or groups within, within Big Pharma. Right now, it's obviously a major theme in the industry, but this was about a decade ago. We were super early in thinking about and doing that. And that really opened up this whole world of of digital and what can it do to improve the real-world performance of pharmaceutical and medical device products. And and that really pivoted my career. And then around that, came to the Bay Area and joined a venture-backed telemedicine company called Doctor on Demand. as They were doing their Series B as Chief Commercial Officer there. And then about five years ago or so, with two of my co-founders from from our Amgen digital health team, we uh, we started Bright Insight.
0: Excellent. And so first question right out of the gate, what is Bright Insight? What do you all do?
1: Bright said the the problem we saw when we were at Amgen really bringing digital into drugs and want just to give you an example or two of that that would be things like you know taking what's a uh, today you know not connected delivery devices and putting Bluetooth in them and connecting them to the cloud so you get really personalized data on what's going on with the patient and you can use that to then drive you know per- things like personalized adherence reminders as an example where we all forget at times to take our medicines and, and, and that's a big pain point both for a patient from a clinical outcome and ultimately from a business perspective for the pharmaco as well so we were solving problems like that or what are called software's medical device algorithms so software that's regulated by the US the FDA because it's helping drive some aspect of a clinical, decision like a diagnosis, matching the right drug to the right patient, dosing and so forth. So we started getting into those types of spaces to improve how our drugs work in the real world. And the innovation itself was super hard and super interesting. But what my co-founders and I learned is that to scale that, to bring that to the cloud, to modernize that software stack and to really get scale in terms of uh, number of markets, number of patients, you know, use technology across different types of products. That was really hard. And everyone was trying to solve that problem bespoke or, you know, most people didn't even know they were going to have this problem. And so we said, let's really build a company around enabling that, right? And that's what Bright Insight is. It's a fully regulated, meaning, you know, FDA and other countries' requirements. And we cover all the privacy and security side all out of the gates. So -hmm. everything we do operates under those requirements. And our technology infrastructure then is on top of which pharmaceutical companies and medical device companies build things like... Like I said, regulated software's medical devices, regulated patient apps, and solutions that might be physician-facing, connected drug delivery devices. If you now think about it, the medical device side, they're going through this Toyota-Tesla transition I right? mm-hmm. kind of describe it as, right? Most medical devices today are not connected to the cloud, but the future, just like Teslas, all cars will be. Same thing's happening there. So if you think, for example, uh, in vitro diagnostic equipment, right? These are lab tests, uh, let's say a blood test, et cetera. Okay. About four or 500 companies that do that in the world. They're all about to go through our early days of this journey of connecting their devices so that it can speak to the cloud, right? And, and I can talk about some of the benefits. Well, we're the infrastructure that can let them do that in a compliant way, fast speed to market, get global scalability and have that compliance um, um, sort of box check so that they can be at ease that, that they're complying to all the requirements.
0: Okay, got it. And could you maybe give like, Cal, like an example where, like at the patient level? We'd love to. Let me take diabetes,
1: right? Diabetes, most folks probably know somebody who has diabetes. It's unfortunately a a very fast-growing epidemic across the world. So when patients' diabetes sort of worsens to the point where they need insulin and you become an insulin-dependent diabetic, in the United States, it takes nearly three years for you get to, to get to your right personal dose of what's called basal insulin, your long-acting insulin. In Europe, it takes over two years for a patient to get to the right dose. During that whole time, you're having organ damage because your glucose is going all over the place. And so your kidneys, your eyes, your you know, pretty much every organ in your body is, is being affected by non-optimal glucose control. The reason it takes that long has nothing to do with medicine it actually has everything to do with how often you see your doctor. Because what the doctor wants to do is slowly tweak or titrate up your dose because they don't wanna overshoot. Overshooting comes with its own risks, where if your glucose goes too low, you can faint, you can go into a coma. So they're gonna titrate you up every visit. Mm -hmm. But then you have all that damage I just talked about. Well, software's medical device algorithm with the right data input from a glucose monitor as an example and some other things, it can actually tell you how to adjust your dose So that you can get to your right personal dose in between those first two doctor visits instead of across two to three years right so you can literally get it down to two to three months so if you think about the clinical benefit for that patient you think about the benefit to the healthcare system because you should ultimately drive you know at scale to better clinical outcomes right and what that means from a cost perspective and other diseases and illnesses you get from poorly controlled diabetes you know massive massive impact to be able to do that and that's the kind of innovation that our customers are working on
0: oh wow and then i would also imagine that there is a benefit to call it like larger populations by capturing that data and then centralizing it and and all the learnings that you could have for other individual patient outcomes
1: a- absolutely right there's multiple ways to think about your comment. spot on so the first is if you think about the individual patient level mm-hmm. very little data about you from a clinical perspective is actually captured right for most people It's the occasional once a year, a couple times a year, they might be at a doctor's office and you capture a little bit about your biometrics. You know, what's your weight, what's your heart rate, your blood pressure happens to be at that moment, your respiratory rate, very limited. The other 99.99% of the time, no one's collecting any clinical data when you're actually out there in the real world about your health. So that's kind of one big transformation that's happening right now. You know, obviously folks are familiar with Apple Watch and other, you know, Fitbits and things like that, but that's just sort of the early days of kind of bringing in, clinical grade data about your personal biology and biometrics. The other thing you have is the, the second point you said, which is healthcare data that we even do have in your doctor's office is very siloed. It's really hard to extract that data out to you know, look at it at scale across populations, but moving to the cloud, you know, particularly in the way again that we're talking about here, you unlock that data so that to your point, you can see it across populations, right? And you can start getting insights that can yield what we call real world insights right so not just what happens in a in a well controlled clinical trial but what's actually happening in the real world and so just huge benefits for each of us as individuals but for all of us as a society to be able to start collecting and unlocking this data and then putting you know the brilliant uh, data scientists and scientists to you know attack it
0: that's really interesting. And if you think about kind of like your business and like this general idea, was this always the initial focus or were, were there kind of like pivots when you started? Could you talk a little bit about kind of like maybe uh, the early days of founding it and kind of how it's evolved? Yeah, look, one thing I'll say
1: is the core focus, our true north has not changed at all. From when we started the company, we fundamentally believe that again, we were in this transformation just like all these other industries that are going from analog to digital and in the cloud. And we wanted to be de facto infrastructure on which pharmaceutical and medical device companies build regulated software. So we've stayed true to that focus, you know, and, and we've proven that out with our public customers, our folks like Novo Nordisk, Roche, Sanofi, you know, CSL Behring, some of the world's most prominent pharmaceutical companies. We have similarly medical device companies that are not yet public. So, so we've been very focused on the problem we're solving, who our customer base is, and how we're going about solving that now there's been lots of changes and pivots you know underneath the you know sort of that arc if you will those mm-hmm. are i would say kind of continuous improvement and continuous response right to the, the the very real world within which we're building our technology and executing for our customers
0: excellent and, and if you think about kind of like the the healthcare value chain everything from kind of like R&D as it relates to medical devices or pharmaceuticals, all the way up to kind of like the example you gave with, with a diabetes patient, kind of zeroing in on the right kind of levels for their treatment. Do you play across that? Are there use cases like even in like, for example, like drug development?
1: Yeah, I would say probably about 80% of our business, uh, if I'm just sort of estimating off the top of my head, is for products that are already commercial products. They've been launched. Typically, they're a top one or two or three drug asset for our customers so multi-billion dollar drugs i think if we look at the peak sales for the drugs and devices we're supporting it adds up to something about 35 billion dollars of, of sales for our customers that we're helping build digital solutions for that wrap around those products but then about 20 percent of the of our programs are for products that are still in that r d development stage typically later stage phase two or phase three of development. So they're being used by patients on their way, hopefully, to successful, you know, clinical trial outcomes and, all, and ultimately, you know, commercialization side by side with that drug or device.
0: That's amazing. It's funny when you describe it. I can't help but think of like all the infinite number of kind of possibilities that Bright Insight could drive. Could you talk maybe a little about some of the challenges of growing and scaling uh, this particular business?
1: Yeah, we need about 100 hours to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so look, one is from a, you know, you're constantly thinking about, you know, your investment arc, right? You need to invest to, uh, you know, on the one hand, you think about we're supporting companies that have been typically around for decades and decades, their product life cycle, right? A typical drug takes a decade to bring to market and then could be on market for, you know, multiple decades in itself, right? You know, medical devices, they go a little bit faster, but it's still a pretty long Product life cycle compared to other industries, and then they're doing more kind of tweaks and adjustments. So we have customers, you know, they have long product life cycles. We're trying to obviously move at much much faster speeds because we're doing software, but we gotta have to link all that together, right? It's better, and that links together the level of the customer's product and the level of regulatory and ensuring the robustness of the software and the compliance to the system it operates in. So that I would say is a big part of our secret sauce and a big part of you know the c- challenge that we're continuously you know trying to get better at is. How do you bring the speed of modern software and, and agility and, you know, agile software product development and marry that with, you know, these very long product life cycles and intense, you know, the robust, appropriately so, uh, you know, regulatory and, and security requirements. So that's certainly a challenge then within that, like, how do we move fast, but yet have that long term view? on how we're doing things. Another key challenge is that we're really making, we're creating a market here. To oversimplify, there's kind of two types of startups, right? There there are those that are coming with the better mousetrap. You know, then there's those that are literally creating a new market, right? And and Dan Goldsmith, one of our board members, fantastic guy, he, he was early at Viva, and Viva is one of the most successful, you know, enterprise SaaS companies that sells into life sciences ever. And, you know, and the way Dan says it, look at Viva, people knew, CRM, that they were doing their customer relationship management and had Excel spreadsheets or something else they were using. And they came, and look, let us show you how to do that so much better. Right. And, but the, the buyer understood the pain point, understood the value of the problem they were trying to solve and so forth. Right. He said, look, at Bright Insight, people aren't doing what we're enabling them to do yet. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's not like you're saying, hey, you guys have been trying for 10 years to solve this and, and you've done it in a clunky way. And let us show you how to do it better. We're selling both the promise and the path at the same time, right? And that's a real challenge, right? And it's a challenge for the industry overall, but it's also a challenge for us because you don't have the same number of, you know, well-understood pain points by the customer. So they may or may not believe you when you tell them, here's what our experience is and others is that have tried to do it because they don't have their own often. And they don't see necessarily all the proof points on the value, right? Because it's not like we have dozens and dozens of solutions in market that you can point to that say, hey, if you do this you're going to deliver, you know, clearly you're going to deliver benefit for your patients and other stakeholders as well as for your business, right? So we love that challenge, but it's, you know, it, there's not a straight path when you're when you're trying to create a new market.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And is there a lot of customization in terms of um, when you're working with like a new client involved? Yes, and
1: it's changing over time. So we think about customization in, in a few different ways. So Ultimately, when you're supporting, you know, multi-billion dollar asset, let's say drug, what's gonna help that drug differentiate and win? That final product and experience needs to be very custom. It needs to be to that therapy, it needs to be to that patient type, it needs to be to the peculiarities of that drug or or device. And you wanna, you know, you're not gonna cut corners to give them what they need to really personalize and optimize for their specific, you know, drug or device asset. So we always think in a very custom way from what our customers need. But from how we deliver that, our journey has been, how do you make it much, much more configurable mm-hmm. and really reduce the amount of customization required, right? And that's really the power of software, right? If we want everybody to just rebuild everything from scratch, well, they can go hire you know, some software consulting shop that wouldn't be working with Bright Insight, right? Yeah. The beauty of what we bring is we bring that fully compliant infrastructure, but over the last four plus years, as we've been heavily investing money into our infrastructure, what we've done is, We've both productized the platform, but then we've actually built products on top of it around very common use cases. And so if you're a drug and you say, as an example, I want to have a patient app that can help the patient, you know, track their symptoms, monitor disease progression, get personalized adherence, have a one-step shop for, let's say, getting education, et cetera, copay card, and so forth. Well, we look at that and say, great, we're seeing that kind of use cases over and over. So how do you get most of what you need in a configurable way instead of building that stack from scratch, right? And there's a lot of other things you need underneath that, like consent management and so forth. So we've configured all that. The drug company and the brand and the patient ultimately get something that's very accustomed to what they want. But so much of the building blocks, if you will, like the Legos, if you will, are pre-built that you sort of tweak and shape to exactly what you need for your patient population, right? I think that's the art of what we're doing. And so if you think about before Bright Insight existed, you know, it took people typically Three to five years and 30 to 50 million dollars to bring a regulated software's medical device to market okay mm-hmm. we've sort of been slowly shrinking that time where we got it down to probably 12 to 24 months and brought it down a factor of 10 on the spend now with our latest product launches this year we're down to typically six months or so plus or minus mm-hmm. To bring a first version of a regulated software's medical device, you know, let's say a disease management solution for a pharma brand to market and reducing the cost by almost another tenth, right? So just as magnitudes of improvement in speed and cost, while frankly actually improving quality and regulatory and compliance robustness because we've standardized, right? And when you standardize, you reduce... Right, the errors, right? and you reduce the risk and you're kind of monitoring, you know, code at scale and so forth. So that's really the strategy of the company if you think about it, right, is how do we invest our R&D dollars and our experience to make the offering so much more robust so you get that custom output, but behind, this, behind the hood, if you will, in a very configurable way to really solve for speed, provide the compliant robustness and still get that uh, scalability.
0: Wow, that makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine that there's a lot of, let's call it like IT consulting firms that would either welcome you with open arms or or wish you didn't exist at the same time. Look, you're spot on. I'll, I'll tell you where we're at in
1: that journey and where I think it's going. So when we started the company uh, in our early RFPs or whatever processes discussions we were having with clients, the rest of the decision set were were exactly what you said, were, we're you know, software consulting companies, because it was basically... We're gonna pay somebody the money to build it build something on our own. And then we had data points to say, well, you can go down that path. They might tell you X, but it's gonna be three times as long and probably three to five times the cost. And that's just again, then you have to do the whole life cycle management, right? You have a a, a yeah, living you just,
0: s- you're just outsourcing something right. You're not speeding it up or making it better. Yeah.
1: And then you have to manage its whole life cycle. So it's not like, oh, I've built it and we're done. Now it's a living software product that patients are using and it's yeah. regulated. You gotta now keep paying money to manage that whole life cycle. Again, all without scale in a bespoke way. So in the beginning, that was the alternative for companies if they were doing this, was to was to outsource it with, with a systems integration partner. Now, I rarely see th- those companies really being involved in the dialogue. Mm. But I think the future will be that, and certainly it's in Bright Insights Roadmap, that ultimately those kind of folks end up partnering with us, right? Because they do bring a lot of value. They bring a tremendous amount of scale you know, they have relationships at every major company. They understand the businesses very well. They understand other ancillary complementary software systems that the customer is using, right? So they have a really good understanding and integration of the complex ecosystem for the pharma and medical device companies. And I think just like they have in other spaces, they'll recognize, okay, well, Bright Insight's the best-in-class partner for this capability. So how do we partner with them to, you know, bring the value to the customer versus try to bespoke build what, you know, these guys have been doing for a number of years, a lot of investment and a lot of experience. I think we'll, we're will we not quite at that full partnership level with that industry, but I think we'll evolve to there as we mature and, and are ready to, to do that and, and you know in their own experiences mature.
0: Wow, quite a business, Cal, and I always get excited when it's not just about making a business for making a business, right? I mean, when you're driving better patient outcomes, that's, that's super exciting, right? Pivoting a little bit here in terms of kind of like your career, we talked about uh, IT consulting firms. Uh, you started as as a consultant, I guess, right out of the gate, which a lot of our listeners are. Could you talk maybe a little bit about how your consulting experience shaped your career and also shaped uh, the way you do business at Bright Insight? Yeah, you know, profoundly,
1: it's had an impact on my career. Right, I'd, I think if I hadn't, you know, been lucky enough to get that job at BCG, you know, out of college, I probably would be practicing emergency medicine somewhere a very reasonable chance of that right and and so again (laughs) it opened up you know not just my perspective but the ability to digest vast amounts of information very rapidly you know to be able to distill what matters from what doesn't matter to be able to I think, articulate that back to an audience be able to do that in a way that is clear but also inspiring to folks that's i think the kinds of things you that certainly i learned i think many people learn in their consulting experience and and that is fundamental to being a you know an entrepreneur to being a ceo right just you know all day long i'm taking in vast amounts of information from very different types of sources i got to do it in a pretty quick way got to know you know how to get to the right answer quickly got to be able to figure out hey where do i really need to go deep because of the magnitude of the decision and its impact or the complexity or whatever where can i stop you know at a higher altitude of analysis before we get to the answer so you gotta do all that, but then the other thing is, and this maybe is a difference between kind of consulting and one of several differences, but one main difference between kind of consulting and, and quote unquote being in the real world is the communication doesn't stop with the PowerPoint slide. In fact, like it just starts with that, right? And for us to effectively communicate and lead, you know, our own companies, the investor community, our obviously our customers, et cetera, right? It goes way beyond slides and in fact, slides can sometimes be limiting and kind of take away from what you're really trying to do. Right. But don't get me wrong, it still gives you that clarity of how to be clear in your thinking and, and what you communicate. It's just the, the medium is, is not necessarily cloud- you know, slide driven.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And then you're also someone that started in consulting and then spent a decent amount of time in, I'll use air quotes, but in industry, right? And I guess curious to hear kind of your thoughts on like what perspective that gave you just as it relates to your career overall.
1: So a few things. So one is when you get to industry, you realize the delta between the right answer and the right answer successfully implemented. And so much of your energy actually goes into that part of it, right? And so getting to the right answer is a very, honestly, a very small part of working in industry. You're not spending that much time figuring out what you should do. You spend the majority of your time trying to actually navigate your organization or your customers or competitors, whatever it is, you know, to actually bring it to fruition. You know, and I know management consulting has changed since I left a couple of decades ago, but like that, at least from when I was... There, that's a big difference, and oftentimes I think for consultants to really bring that empathy is important. Because I remember, frankly, you know, just looking at my own self and, and not pointing fingers anywhere else. You know, you, as a consultant, you can be like, I can't believe these folks are taking so long to do this, or they don't understand it, or they don't get it, or they're, you know, they, it's like only when you're in the, in their shoes yeah. do you appreciate that, right? And when I was in industry, to your point, I worked with everybody along the years, right? Like every big consulting firm, I ended up working with and they did great work but that's where the focus was like great you gave me the right answer now I'm like past that I'm focusing on the implementation the, the other thing I'll, I'll I'll say and hopefully this is valuable to some of your folks that are still in the industry is nobody's listening to you after the 10th slide like I don't know why I ever <laughs> bothered doing a single slide ever in my career beyond the 10 right I remember burning the midnight oil working on slides that were in the appendices like no executive is listening to that. Like, if you don't have a clear answer and clearly articulated and convinced us of what that answer is, by that, frankly, it's a rare client that's going past that because it's just not how the real world works. Again, because it's a you're lying that you've done the analysis, but b like you either get it or you don't, you believe it or you don't, right? And so, so don't spend the time on that. And, and if I had to do it over again, I would spend less time on, like I said, the, you know, writing all those slides and doing sort of non-value added analyses. I would have spent more. Cutting myself off on that and instead focusing on, okay, what's the situation my customers in? They don't just need the right answer, but who are they trying to convince? You know, What are they going to do with this answer? Let me just think about it. If I convince Ken the right answer is X, what's Ken going to have to do when he gets out of the room to be successful? Spend more time really thinking through that and bringing that empathy and perspective and advice to the room and the perfect meetings are you get done with the right answer in the first 15 20 minutes and the rest of the time you're talking about okay oh, again we've been thinking about this this and that and this is what i imagine you're going to have to navigate to now successfully go implement this or take the next step with it right and so spend time on that how do you actually articulate the message with words not slides and then how do you help them actually successfully operationalize it versus just you know keep convincing them that you have the right answer and you're the smartest person in the room so that was for me, you know, what I learned kind of being on the other side of it in, in, in industry.
0: Yeah. And I love that point, especially about thinking about it from their perspective and kind of tying it back to being a tech CEO now, right? The very best product managers spend so much time with the customers, listening to the customers, right? Like it's, it's not just about the technical attributes. It's about hearing what they have to say and their pain points and everything like that. And I think that's a really, really good point.
1: Yeah, same, I mean, same thing in healthcare. I was talking to somebody at a big pharma company this week, and we were just comparing notes on different things. And he was just to be like, look, let's say they'll take, you know, uh, an oncology patient, for example, right? If they have cancer, you know, obviously it's a super stressful uh, situation for anybody, any family. And it's very easy for the drug company to just think about the, the molecule, the mechanism of action, how the science is going to work, and do the whole product development around that when if you talk to patients many times for many cancers, the thing they care about most is quality of life, right? Or other things they may care about, right? Can I still be up and about and see my grandkids? Can I go do that trip I wanted to do before, you know, right? Can 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 I I eat? Exactly. Can I sleep without pain, right? And a lot of these things, you know, to your point are often lost on people who are in all industries, right? And so I think the folks who do the best product development like you said are actually immersed in their customers and not in in within their own companies their their own companies they're change agents for but you know their their insights and stuff is coming through you know really being deeply empathetic to the people whose lives they're trying to improve
0: that's a really good insight and uh, i guess it kind of leads me to my next question which is like a lot of former consultants and current consultants kind of like sitting out there thinking about their career kind of like okay w- w- what should i do next any general advice? I, I know we talked about think about it from other people's perspective, but any other kind of general advice, Cal?
1: Give a few pieces for what it's worth. Definitely don't sit in a position of saying these are truths. They're just truths for me. So, <laughs> obviously, by definition, almost most consultants are you know type A personalities, and having you know bias to overanalyze and and plan for way too long. There's no way I could have planned where my career. Has gone right and i couldn't have imagined to be any more fulfilling and you know zero regrets right and and so don't overanalyze to be like hey you know i want to be x in 18 years and here's every step i need to take to get there right because then you're gonna a I think it has a lot of downsides personally to doing that so one is you're gonna be so focused on the destination is you're not gonna enjoy and take in the journey and and obviously to be clear, I think the journey you know, matters is 90% of it and the destination is 10 or whatever you want to think about it, but it's certainly not 100% the destination, right? Number two, you then will, you know, cut yourself off from so many other potential paths that could have been way more fulfilling, way more, you know, exciting, way more lucrative, way more impactful, whatever it is, who knows, right? But you got to, you know, not have that tunnel vision and, you know, so, so that's one piece. Don't over plan, don't over engineer you know in the very near term i would say focus on where do you want to it's generic but like what are you truly going to be excited to go do life is just too short to say i'm going to go do that role even though i'm not really excited about doing it you know and and frankly i would say the same thing even on the projects you're getting assigned to push back on stuff i mean listen to being like okay and be open-minded on what you might get out of a particular assignment but if you're like there's nothing that you're excited about doing that push hard against it. Like why spend the next three to six months being miserable working, you know, on a project or a team or a client or topic or whatever that you have no interest in, right? And and so again, you gotta be pragmatic, but but I see people way too often kind of always take it for the team and be way too much kind of long-term oriented and way too much, you know, kind of, this is what I should do versus what I want to do. Again, I say this speaking to consultants, not the average person, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, with the biases of, you know, generalizing, you know, and stereotyping uh, consultants. Specifically
0: yeah. insecure <laughs> overachievers. <laughs> exactly. Take note.
1: <laughs> and be confident, right? To your other point around that, that that what you just said, like, be confident. You, you know, by definition, you actually are very talented and, you know, take some risks.
0: I love that first point too, just on like the, okay. Yeah. It seems a little bit trite. Oh, it's the journey, not to the destination. But actually like when you, <laughs> when you look at the science of it, it's it's actually true. I listen to, there's a guy, Andrew Huberman, I'm sure you've heard of him. He does like a podcast and like, he talks all about motivation. Right. And like, I personally try to manage my energy, not like my work life. And so like, I'm always thinking about, okay, how do I manage that? And like, there's all sorts of tools that you can use, but like, it turns out, yeah, it really is the journey, right? hundred yeah. percent. I guess, Cal, speaking of journey, any final kind of closing thoughts just in terms of kind of like where you see bright insights going and, and, and where you guys are headed?
1: yeah look our you know vision mission is what you alluded to really oriented around you know leveraging digital to to improve clinical outcomes you know across the globe you know across diseases across the globe at scale and the way we're going to do that is by becoming that de facto platform on TEPO, which pharma medical device companies digitize their products right and if we do that then as the industry digitizes we'll be the enabler to do that and, and so we're very focused on on that and that was our focus from day one right and so you know, we're very much how do we continue to invest in the technology, keep improving you know, its robustness, its capabilities, its global scale We're you know, 64 countries and expanding today. How do we keep bringing in the best companies to support them and expand within their portfolios? So it may sound a little bit of more of the same, but we're really, you know, in the first inning of this transformation for Pharma and MedTech and you know, excited to be, you know, enablers for them to to really you know be more successful at, at going down going down that path. So, so we'll continue to do that and you know, we'll obviously continue to scale in terms of you know, people, but importantly in terms of you know, in terms of impact and What I'm most excited about when, if I pull back to the next 12 to 24 months, is up till now we celebrate a lot of milestones and you know oftentimes announcing a new customer logo, right? Because you know from Sanofi, you know multi, however many hundred billion dollar company, and that is a huge achievement. And the programs we're doing for them. But I'm looking forward to where it's logos will still be important, but we're more measuring ourselves in terms of. How many different drugs or therapy disease areas are patients using solutions operating the digital on Bright Insights platform, right? How many countries, you know, how many patients themselves, right? And and right now, I think, you know, we're up to 20 some countries with patients using our products and the tens of thousands, et cetera, from a patient's perspective, But right? I think we're hitting this point of inflection where in 12 to 24 months, we really start scaling those numbers as more and more of our customer solutions come to market and start scaling. And that'll be exciting, right? To just, again, talk more about the end patient and the impact we're having there versus um, our direct customers who we're partnered with today to, to get to that point.
0: Well, that's awesome. And, and you guys have a lot to be proud about. Cal, if our listeners were interested in learning more about Bright Insight or yourself or, or what you're doing, any kind of like suggested links or anything like that, we can drop in the description. Sure, sure. Yeah, obviously
1: go to our website, brightinsight.com. So just just as it reads, not there's no S on it, so just brightinsight.com. You know, if there's good reason to want to ping me directly, I'm fine with that as well. Cal.Patel at BrightInside.com. It's ka Patel at BrightInside.com. So
0: Bright awesome. Well, Cal, thanks so much. I, I feel like I learned a lot today. Um, I'm sure our listeners did as well. Appreciate you spending time with us. And for those of you listening for the first time, make sure to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, or Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit the subscriber notification bell as well. And if you're interested in getting in touch with me or anybody else at ECA Partners, it's going to be eca-partners.com. Cal, thanks so much. And for everybody else, talk to you next week.